0: All right, good morning to you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. And we are glad that you are here. If you're here regular, we're glad you're here. If you're visiting and if you're here for the first time, thank you so much for coming and be a part. And here we are at the last message in our series that's gone all summer long and uh, talking about what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And today we want to conclude with a message on the family. I promise you this. That we had not even begun to touch on all that we as believers and as Baptists, particularly as David said. Um, we will definitely be touching on some of these topics later on. Uh, the little book that I had had some great ideas and topics. Like one day I hope to bring a message on the ordinances of the church, uh, the Lord's Supper and Baptism, which uh, Lord's Supper for participating in today. So anyway, so there's more stuff coming about what we believe as Baptists. But I'm excited today about the message about the family. The family is the building block of society, and God is the founder of the family. No matter what society dictates and how they define, how Supreme Court defines marriage and the family, all that is mox nicks because it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God, and God is the one who determines, you know, marriage and family and the like. He is the founder, so we all have to pay attention to what He says about the family. Now. I was throwing around my head exactly how to introduce the message today. And the first sermon title I came up with was, Taking the Dis out of Dysfunctional. Well, that kind of implied that all the families are dysfunctional. And while there certainly are some, not all of them, but I found out also in the process that there are no perfect families. Now, we have this picture, and Nancy, if you'll throw that first picture up there. You know, this is kind of, you know, those of us my age, and by the way, So what, bud? That's right. Father knows best. 1954, Mickey. 1954, the year I was born. And that's kind of how the family was portrayed. You got got dad working. You got mom that stays home and does all the household chores. And you got three perfect children. Notice they all have perfect teeth. That was kind of the way, the standard that we had... For the perfect family. Well, I knew that was 1954, so I knew we needed something more modern for the perfect family. So this is the picture of today's perfect family. Oh, that's right. There's not any. There's not any. You can't find a picture of the perfect family because there is no perfect family. In fact, families often look more like this. Can I have an amen? Amen. I mean, you know, it's so funny. We we we'll go on vacation with the kids or something, and, you know, we're trying to get a picture. I, I remember in Korea, it was funny. We were at this really cool place in front of this really cool place, you know, and we had the boys there and everything, trying to get a picture, and one would get it right and start smiling, and the other would be sticking his finger up his nose like the young lady there in the picture. So the truth is, that's life. That's how pictures are. In fact, sometimes it looks like this. You go back there and dance. Get back to that other one. uh, Yeah, there you go. Have you had a picture like that before? Yeah, your kids just like tear up the whole house. That's life. That's life. And so I landed on the idea, what if we could do a sermon called The Highly Functioning Family, defining the highly functioning family? And of course, the root for that and the source book has to be, again, the Word of God. And so we want to look today in the Word of God And see what a highly functioning family looks like. Now, I need to pause. And I don't have this written down anywhere on my sheet. But really, I need to back up even where I was going to start and say this. It really all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. We really can't miss that. We can't miss that. Because, again, it is in a relationship with Jesus Christ that a person is born again. Their sins are forgiven. We've heard about that today. (coughs) Excuse me, please. And so we've heard about that today. So, so it begins with that regeneration of... Now, the things you're going to hear if you're not a Christian today and you're saying, Well, gee, I'm not, you know, I'm not a Jesus person. Well, you know what? Some of the things you're going to hear today can really be helpful. But the power of the Holy Function family is found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, paid for by the spilt blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on a cross like this. Because the wages of sin was death, and Jesus Christ died for our sins, took our place, endured the wrath of God, that people like you and me could come to relationship with God. We, As David, I think, said today, you know, we could stand really where Jesus only deserves to stand. You know, I love that verse in 2 Corinthians 521, the one he quoted there. You know, he says, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's the beginning place. And at the end of our service, we're going to have what we call an altar call, a decision time. Brother Brent's going to be standing down front. And we'd love to tell you all about Jesus and how you can come to know him personally as Lord and Savior. Now, a chunk of us have made that decision. Matter of fact, probably the vast majority of the people sitting in this room today and listening on the radio have made that decision. So now we move on to part number two, beyond the relationship, is the Word of God. The Word of God. It is the source, the foundation to where we want to define a highly functioning family. Now, in um, Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, let me read this to you. Because I know I know a lot of say yeah I know what the Bible says Dwayne but but what are the benefits of it okay well in Psalm 19 verse 7 and 8 we hear these words the instruction of the Lord is perfect now someone say perfect okay okay so if something is perfect that means it's perfect it's complete it's the deal okay now look look the benefit. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. And by the way, if it's perfect, we ought to be following it. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's ma- life, renewing one's life. So so we have that in thought. I, I wrote down the words, a fresh breeze, an oasis, an oasis, the word of God. You know, in Psalm 23 and verse number one and two, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down before between uh, by green pastures and leaves me beside still waters, he restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. So the word of God, the instruction of God, is perfect because it renews one's life. It's like a fresh breeze that blows into our lives. He goes on and says this. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy. In other words, it is reliable. So, whatever God's word says about, for instance, about families, it's something that's trustworthy. It can be relied on. And then it says this making the inexperienced wise. Now, I don't know if you remember or not, but I remember back when we didn't have kids. We were so excited when Judy showed up pregnant. We'd I don't remember if we were trying a long time or not. All I know is we're like four years into our marriage uh, before we had children, and and you know, and we got pregnant. And Rebecca was coming, and you know, she didn't come with an owner's manual. I mean, there. You know, in fact, I still remember this day. You know, when she did her first big deal. You know, the, the big deal. You know, and I'm sitting there, and I I punched the nurse. I said, "Nurse, we have a natural disaster here. She has potted her first potty," and she looked at me and said, uh, "That's you, Dad." Diapers are under there. Here's the lotion. Here's the wipes. Take over. And I'm like going, but I've never done this before. In fact, to be honest, I didn't do it too many times. After that, after that, I'm telling you. I, oh, give me a minute. I told Judy I've got more sermon than time, but I got to tell you a story. You know, one day we had two kids. Two kids. And, of course, she was the mom and I was the dad. In my role, that meant you change diapers and I don't. And so, so one night, she wanted to go to a WMU meeting, Women's Missionary Union meeting. And so she went, you know, and as she's walking out the door, Jennifer does the big job. So, so I open the door and say, Judy, come back, come back, Judy. She just waves and smiles and drives off. Tell you what, I'm totally inexperienced. But here's what the Word of God says The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, it's reliable, making the experienced, inexperienced wise. So it can give us the experience that we need information to become experienced parents. He goes on and says this The precepts of the Lord are right. Right? I'm just saying. If they're right, then we can probably all listen to them, okay? The precepts of the Lord are right. Making the heart glad. In my mind, that brought about a peaceful and a calming situation. And life can be chaotic, especially in the family. But he brings a peace and a calm unto that. And finally, he says this. The command of the Lord is radiant. Is radiant. Making the eyes light up. Making the eye. And that's joy. That's joy. The, The Word of God can bring joy into our lives. Remember, joy is not controlled by circumstances. Happiness is. But joy is not. So the commands of the Lord is radiant. It can make our eyes light up. Okay? So, so, you know, in 1 John 5, 3, it says, If you love me, Jesus said, if you love me, well, John said, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay? All right? And his commands are not burdensome. In other words, the word of God was not given us to burden us down, but to set us free. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what, I know what your friends at work say they say, yeah, this Christian thing is nothing but it's a burden. It's a, it's a burden. No, it's not. It's freeing. In Christ, there is freedom. In truth, there is freedom. And in the Word of God, we find freedom, okay? And, and when the eyes light up, it's a, it's a delight. It's a joy, all right? How many of you have heard the saying, happy life, a happy wife, happy life? Have you heard that one? Yeah, but I bet you haven't heard this one, happy dad, happy path. See, life is good when mama's happy, but the house is happier when daddy's happier. Hey, can I have an amen? You ladies, amen? Happy life, happy wife, happy dad, happy pad. All right? So all this thing. So we find this power, okay, the instruction in the word of God. God. Now, in Colossians chapter 3, and this is where we launch into the main part of the message, in Colossians chapter 3 we have, you know, we're kind of backing into a parking spot. You know, sometimes there's the right thing to do to back into a parking spot. It's just easier. When you get ready to go then you pull straight forward and you're out of the parking spot, okay? So sometimes that's good. Well, we're kind of backing in with Colossians chapter 23 and 3, 23 and 24, or 25. We're backing in with, into the parking spot. Okay? Because, you know, Paul talks about, hey, wives... Hey, husbands. Hey, kids. Hey, fathers. And then he actually talks a bit about relationships between employees and employers. Okay? All right? We would call it the bond thing back then. But that's really what he's talking about. It's all about relationships. And in verse number 23 through 25, then he gives us this idea of relationships. And this is the first big idea. Okay? Listen to what it says. And whatever you do, do it heartily. So that's true in life. That's a life statement. But remember, remember, this is all about uh, wives, husbands, kids, and dads and parents. Okay? So the context, the big context is relationships and particularly in with the family. And Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do it, do it heartily. In other words, be all in. Be all in. Now here's the deal. I'm doing this from 35 years of experience I've uh, been a dad for, for, for longer than that, okay? been married for 42 years, and I, so I can speak from a little bit of basis from experience, not as long as some of you guys, but from a, a pretty good base of experience. And the bottom line is, with family and with marriage, you need to be all in. When we, when we choose to be all in in other areas, whether it be marriage or parenting, things don't go as well. So this is one of those things in life, you've got to be all in. I've seen golfers who are all in. I've seen hunters who are all in. I've seen sports people all in. We need to be all in with the family. So he says, whatever you do, do it hardly. Now watch, watch this. This is a key. As to the Lord and not to men. As to the Lord and not to men. He says, I need for you to be all in and I need for you to understand something. You're not doing it for him. You're not doing it for them. And you're not doing it for her. You're doing it for me. You're doing it for me. So God wants you to be all in on your family. Okay? And he wants to do it not for the people involved, but for him. Do it as unto the Lord and not to men. And watch this. Knowing, verse 24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. In other words, when we're all in with our families... Okay, when we're all in on our marriages, there's a reward. The reward of the inheritance. Now, back in 1962, a candy was introduced. Now we grew up with it, all right? And when I grew up with it, it was a small box of candy, about well, a package of candy, about that big, okay? And in that candy, there were three little blocks that were individually wrapped. And then there were fruit flavors of different kinds. And they were called now and then, now and then, and they cost a penny. They cost a penny. The idea was, between the name was, because they were individually wrapped, you can eat one now and save a couple for later. Or you can eat two now and save one for later. There was a, there was a, a present satisfaction and a future satisfaction. Satisfaction. And by the way, they still sell that candy. You can get it at probably any minute market, but now you pay a nickel for one. You pay a nickel for one. Well, that's kind of like when he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, that's it. When we're all in, according to the Bible, when we're all in living by the Bible, when we're all in following Christ, okay, there's a reward in the future. That's later, okay, but there's a reward now. And, and the reward now is a fulfilled, purposeful family life. The highly functioning family. That's the reward. That's the reward. So this thing is like huge that we get into the Word of God, okay, and get all in, obeying it, and we get this reward, this inheritance, that now and later, both now and later, there's a reward for that. Now, again, a tag, a huge tagline that you, I want you to write down and put in your memory is the next three or four or five words. Now, I'm going to back up to 24 to start. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That is big. Now, obviously, he's speaking to believers. Obviously, I'm speaking to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm reminding you, and Paul is stating emphatically... Keep in mind already when he says whatever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that there's an inheritance, remember this, you serve the Lord Christ. So what I want you to kind of put in your brain is, as we look at these individual roles of the highly functioning family, keep this in mind. Well, since I serve the Lord Christ. Write that down. That's a tagline. Since I serve Christ. The Lord Christ. That is the motivation, and that's the understanding for why we ought to do what the Word of God says. Now, verse 25, there's a little comfort here. In verse 25, it says, But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there's no partiality. You need to understand something. There's no such thing as the perfect family, which means there's no such thing as the perfect husband, there's no such thing as the perfect wife. And there's no such thing as perfect children. Not necessarily with the kids, but with the husband and wife, this is pretty big. This is pretty big. Because we, we say, Dwayne, he does not deserve what you're going to tell me today. She doesn't deserve what you're going to tell me today. Actually, what the Word of God says. She doesn't deserve that. Well, you've got to remember something. Leave it to God. Leave it to God. Because he says, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he's done. So, so if you think you've got a jerk of a husband, okay, even though he's a believer, he's a jerk of a husband, or you've got a jerk of a wife, we won't go with the kids. We'll leave that one alone, okay? If you've got that, keep in mind, God's watching. You know, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, you know, God sees and God knows. It says, everything is laid bare before God. So listen, remember you're doing this for God and not for him or her or others. You're doing it for God because you serve the Lord Christ, okay? And don't worry about the, the things that need to be repaid. God will take care of that. Amen? All right, now we have back into the parking spot. Now we're going to go forward and start pulling out. We start in verse number 18 of Colossians chapter 3, okay? And here's what it says. This is directed toward the wives. Wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now there's several things here that are really, really important. Now, ladies, I know again, because of culture, the word submission has this really negative context. So I wrote down to remind myself to tell you this: whatever comes to your mind, when the word submission comes. Comes to mind in marriage, you know whatever comes to your mind. Don't let it include choice. Don't let it include doormat, servant, or second class. Because that's often what happens. You know, in Christian circles, that somehow, uh, through I'm sure some halfway sincere pastors, some junk has been taught that if you're the wife in, in the husband wife relationship, that somehow you're the doormat of the family. Somehow you're the, you're the um, servant of the family. And I don't mean servant heart. I mean you're the slave of the family. Um, somehow that God made you second class. Lie, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. It's just simply not true. And because of that false teaching, and because of the context of culture, when we talk about something like this, you know, I don't care what the Bible says, Dwayne. No, I I remember someone once told me, I'm not going to do what any man tells me to do. And a lady was speaking it. I'm not going to do anything. She had been so hurt and so wounded. Okay? So, 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 so. What, what then does that mean? Well, it does mean, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Okay? Now, any organization has leadership. You know, any organization has leadership. If you have a job today, I promise you there's organization. Unless you happen to be a 1D self-employed, then you're the boss and the employee. But whether you work at the school, guess what? There's a department head and probably a principal. If you work out at the college, there's department heads and principals and deans. Okay? You work at the bank? Yep. There's supervisors and then there's, there's the board that you answer to. No matter what job you have, there is... There is other, others over you, okay? Now, why would that be hard then in marriage? Why do we push back the fact that God, in his wisdom, okay, has put an organization in place and just so happens that he empowered the man to be the leader of the organization? Now, here's what you need to know. I served in the Air Force for 12 years, okay? You've heard that story before. I think I may have shared this actually a couple, three months ago on a Wednesday or a Sunday night. But something you need to know. I was a, a tech sergeant when I got out of the Air Force, which is pretty good up in rank, in the enlisted rank. Okay? But the bottom line is because I was enlisted, then I still answered to officers. All right? Now, at no time, I always, I was blessed to work with the commanders. All right? I was, I was blessed to work. When I got out of the Air Force, I worked for the wing commander. Okay, in charge of the whole base and beyond and beyond. Now listen, at no time, someone say at no time. At no time did I feel like a lesser man because I had someone over me. At no time. Dwayne, was every commander perfect? No. Were some of them jerks? Yes. But I determined in my heart that I was serving the mission and not the man. Because he had a degree and because he had gold or silver on his shoulders did not make him a better man than me. And because God has chosen to put the man in charge of the family, ladies, that no way makes you a second-class citizen. No way. Burn that in your heart and believe that. In fact, the role that you have is so significant. The role that you have is so significant. In Genesis 2.18... You know, it's a familiar scripture, and I've reached all the way back to the King James to give this to you today. All right. In the King James version of Genesis 2:18, the Bible says this, and the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So he looked, okay, and saw that man did not have a mate. The horses did, the cows did, the elephants did. All of them had a mate, but he did not. And he said, It's not good that man should be alone. And then he says this, I will make him a help meet for him. A help meet for him. Now, the word help meet is the word easer, okay? And it basically means this a helper comparable with him, on the same level with him. A helper on the same level as him. And here's what's amazing, ladies, listen carefully. That word easer almost always in the Bible is used for God. Is used for God. That doesn't sound like a doormat to me. It doesn't sound like a slave to me. It doesn't sound like second class to me. Over in Psalm um, 70 and verse number 5, listen to this word how it's used. And again, this is just one example of many how God uses this word, but he chose to bless you with this word. Okay? Here's why it says in Psalm 70 verse 5. The psalmist speaking, I am poor and needy. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of us guys. I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. That word help is the easier word. You are my help and my deliverer. O God, do not delay. So amazingly, while God may have put the man at the top of of the leadership rung, okay he looks at you women and say you are the easer you are the helper and even compares that word over and over again the word of god to himself some some definitions include the word rescuer sustainer these are this is big big word so ladies understand in this submission realm yes yes you are under the the husband in the area of leadership, but you are such a vital person. You are a helper comparable to him, one like him. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, says this. He says, The man fills in the weaknesses of the woman, and the woman fills in the weaknesses of the man. What makes an organization highly functionable is when every person knows their role and fulfills their role. And a highly functioning family begins with a woman who understands her role in a Christian family. So I hope that helps you understand who you are and how valuable you are. Men, you need to hear that too. You need to hear that too. And make sure that you have a godly perspective of exactly who your wife is. Now, I want to give you three words. We'll try to do this with every point. Um, I want to give you three words, lady, that are very, very important. They're on your sermon sheet. Okay? The first one is this, the word Respect with word of respect. Every person has a different love language, all right? And often in a woman's sense, the word love and romance comes to mind. If you want to fulfill your woman, or your woman, your wife, okay, you love and romance her. Guys, we love hearing it when our wives say I love you, but a hands down 100%, I feel most loved when I know Judy respects me. When she says I believe in you. The, the one of the greatest gifts you can give your husband is to respect him and let him know that you believe in him. Because we look from the outside often, we got it all together. We don't. Sometimes we're very fearful. Sometimes we're very fearful, and we need to know that you are there saying, "I believe in you." The second word is the word reward. Reward. I think this came from Andy Stanley originally. Um, at least I heard him say it first and here's what he says what is rewarded is repeated what is rewarded is repeated, I'm giving you a little bit of insight into your husband, if your husband if you want your husband to do something and he finally does it, praise him praise him because again, when that reward is applied, it gives him an incentive to do it again to do it again So what is rewarded is repeated. So reward your husband with good words, words of affirmation and words of encouragement. When he finally takes the trash out on trash today, thank you so much for taking the trash out today. That meant so much to me. Okay? What is rewarded is repeated. And then I've got the word refrain. Refrain. And that's the last word. And refrain, refrain from using words that will damage or tear him down. Um, I hope you've never said this, but in the heat of an argument, you might say something like this. My daddy was right about you. And you know it's not a compliment. My mother was right about you. My mom said I shouldn't have married you. Those are piercing words. And just like your heart can be pierced, your husband's heart can be pierced also. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 Paul uses a phrase. And by the way, you know this is always a reference to this scripture. Don't use foul. Well, okay, that doesn't fit too well. Don't use foul or abusive language. Abusive language. My dad said you turn out like this. Why can't you be like someone else? Don't use abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Okay, so there's three things that can help you a lot. Respect your husband by telling him you believe in him with your words and with your actions. Okay, Um, reward him. When he does something right, reward him because what is rewarded is repeated. And refrain from comments that will shoot him directly into the heart. These things are huge and they will help you. And remember, you're not doing it because he deserves it. You're doing it because why? You serve the Lord Christ. You serve the Lord Christ. You are doing this in the sake and name of Jesus Christ. All right? And the reward is, again, trust me, the reward is happy dad, happy pad. Okay? Now, then we jump in with Paul to Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 19, and we talk about the husbands. Now, husbands, don't forget what I just said. Okay, remember, you serve the Lord Christ. So whatever Paul's going to tell us to do, we do through the lens of, we serve the Lord Christ. We do it hardly, not unto men, but as unto the Lord, we serve the Lord Christ. So, what does Paul say then for the husbands? Well, he says this. He says, husbands, love your wives... And do not be bitter, or a lot of translations use the word harsh, and that's probably better. Um, Do not be harsh toward them. Now, again, the challenge that we have here with Paul's command is huge. Because he says this, you know, husband, love your wives. Now, if you remember back in Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about this very same topic. And he says these words, husbands, love your wives, you remember what it says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it so the command husbands that we have and remember we serve the lord christ it's not about if she's worthy of your love or not no no we're doing it because of the of, of the fact that we serve the lord christ all right so we are to love our wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for it. now not need to spend a lot of time here how how did how did christ demonstrate his love total sacrifice total sacrifice Okay, now remember the word of God is reliable and can be trusted. All right, so, so Paul says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I even threw in, and again, I'm just going to read through this because we definitely don't have time to preach it. I'm not trying to do that. But I really want to give you tidbits from the word to help solidify what does that look like? What does it look like, you know, to love your wife? Okay, because I promise you, you know, some of you guys would say, well, loving my wife means getting a new chainsaw. It won't work, dude. Uh, You know, love my wife means a new four-wheeler. No, that's for you. It's probably not for her. Okay, so what does love look like? Well, you know, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. And I love verse 5. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. I really like NIV in this case. Let me read to you verse five from the NIV. Is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Wow, that is so good on both sides of the fence. You know, you know when we, when, you know when your wife messes up, you've got it all written down in your head, and she messes up again. I remember three years ago you did the exact same thing, and da 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 da. No, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And by the way, ladies, it works the exact same way. When your husband messes up, you don't keep a record of wrong. Verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Now, the highly functioning family has a husband who loves his wife that way. And then, if we are in a secular culture, we'd say no one deserves that love. Well, we didn't deserve it. And remember, we're doing it because we serve the Lord Christ. It's not about her at all. It's not that she polishes your shoes or cooks your favorite meal. That's not a condition for love. This love simply is love. It's a sacrificial giveaway love that we do because we serve the Lord Christ. All right? So, So we are to love our wives and don't be bitter or harsh toward them. Now, again... The, the verse that's always referenced with that word bitterness in Colossians three nineteen is Ephesians four thirty one and thirty two, Ephesians four thirty one through thirty two. Husbands, listen to these words. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander, be removed from you along with all malice. In other words, in this love relationship, you have with your wife. Those things shouldn't be there. Uh, Bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed, along with all malice. And rather, you are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. So that's what it kind of looks like. That's what it kind of looks like. So what are the three words for you, husbands, that will help you with your wife? Okay, number one is love. You got that. Number one is love. Love as Christ loved the church. It's a sacrificial giveaway love. It's an unconditional love. Not only when she's doing exactly what you want, you simply love her, okay, in the name of Christ. Number two is the word loyalty. Loyalty. You've got to be sure that your actions let her know this thing. She is the one and will always be the one. She is the one. And we'll always be the one. That's loyalty. Guys, I could camp here a long time because I'm a man. I'm telling you, there's no room in your marriage relationship for other intimate, close relationships, friendships with females. There's no place for old girlfriends. Not on Facebook, not on email, not on text. There's no room for porn. There's no room. If you want to be disloyal to your wife, porn. You want to disloyal your wife, be seeing some girls on the side. Oh, we're just having coffee together. I'm telling you, be loyal. She is the one, and she'll always be the one. There's security in that. And one of the things that women need is they need to know you are going to be there for them. That's why the word divorce should not be uttered in your vocabulary. Don't say it. Don't crack open the door. Don't let the idea of the thought enter ...into the marriage relationship. And the last thing is liaison. Liaison. Liaison is communication. If there's a liaison officer... ...a liaison uh, person... ...then that person communicates... ...between two organizations. They're the communicator. Ladies, I think you'd agree with me... ...you love to communicate. We, We make a joke about women like to talk a lot. No! They like to communicate. Okay? Ladies, according to the numbers... You speak about 20,000 words a day. Men, you speak about 7,000. Well, maybe it's just seven now that I think about it. Okay? So liaison. It's difficult. Judy, I could bring Judy up on the stage and she'd say how this is an issue because, you know, how was your day? Fine. Who'd you see? Nobody. <laughs> okay? So liaison is important. How many times she said to me, Dwayne, I need to share this with someone. and You're my best friend. Because I, I don't want time to listen. Okay? Take time to communicate. Love your wife. Be loyal to your wife. Let her know that she is the one and will always be the one. And then liaison. Talk and communicate with her. Very, very important. All right. The, now we get to the kids. And students, I hope you'll listen in real quick on this one. Um, you know, this is true. When I say kids, I, you pick a word. You know, students, I think, is a a good word for teenagers these days. But, you know, it really starts with, even with smaller children when you're 8 or 9 years old. You know, we need to understand the truth that's here. And it goes all the way up. All the way up. Now, here's what Paul said in Colossians 3.20 to the kids. Okay? To the children. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things. For this is well pleasing the Lord. Now, now students, okay, okay, students, remember this: you serve the Lord Christ. If you are a follower in Jesus Christ, because you know moms and dads, guess what, aren't perfect. Can I have an amen? We're not. We get it wrong a lot. Okay, they may act like they're perfect, but that doesn't mean they are. Okay, so so remember, when it comes to obeying your mom and dad, okay, however young you can go, and that makes sense to you, remember you serve the Lord Christ. You're not even obeying your mom and dad because you're supposed to, you're doing it because God asked you to. Because God asked you to. You serve the Lord Christ. That's the big picture. Now, when he says, "Children, obey your parents in all things," let's just pause there. Okay? If you're obviously if you're 8 or 9 or 6 or 5 or 4, you need to understand something. You know, obey your mom and dad. Okay? That's a, that's like a no brainer. All right. When, when you're eight years old, and mom and dad say go clean your room, you go clean your room. Their mom and dad, they have that right, and you should listen to them. But here's what I know: that the older we get, the less we want to obey or honor or respect our parents. Okay. Now you need to hear this. Are you listening? Respect has no age limit. Respect has no age limit. In other words, even when you're married and move out of the house you still respect your parents. You know, when Jesus said, I'm sorry, when God said back in the Big Ten, honor your father and mother, there was no age limit on that. Okay? So, so you need to show your parents respect until they die. Or you do. Or you do. You are to show respect. Now, it, I granted, it changes a little bit as we get older. Okay? But somehow it needs to be said because... So many children are choosing to stay in their parents' home. I mean, it's a, it's a real epidemic in America that there are 25 and 26 and 27-year-olds that are living with their parents still, okay? And I'm about to admit, I mean what I'm fixing to say. And if you're 18, 19, or 20, or 21 years old, and you're still on your father's roof, guess what? One, you respect them, and their rules matter. Their rules matter, okay? Now, if you want different rules, you go find a different place to live, All right? But I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, while you're under their roof, their rules matter. Now, it does change, like I say, as you get older. Um, Again, can I go back to the Air Force one more time? When I was in the Air Force, um, my last year and a half in the Air Force, I worked for a squadron commander. He was a lieutenant commercial named Jack Royster. Great guy. We had a great relationship. But clearly, he was the squadron commander, and I worked for him. Later on, I, I was chosen a great honor. I was selected to work directly for the wing commander. So he was a full bird colonel, one level up, and in charge again, as I said earlier, the whole base and the whole wing, okay? Now, here's the deal. He became my new commander. So my loyalty shifted to the new commander, okay? But whenever I saw Colonel Royster, my old commander, I still respected him, even though we had a different relationship. He was still an officer. So, so... The deal is this. When you're under your parents' roof, okay, then you need to abide by their rules. Okay? You need to abide by their rules. When you get married and move out, okay, you still respect them, but then you'll have a whole set of rules to live by. Okay? But you need to respect your parents. Children, obey your parents in all things. Why? Because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. You know why? It mirrors our relationship with Him. It mirrors our relationship with Him. When he says, obey your parents, we're to obey God. It's well-pleasing when we're obedient to our parents because it mirrors our relationship with God, all right? Now, you say, well, Dwayne, do you got anything Bible for that one? Yeah, how about Jesus? How about Jesus? Because I know, I know, the older you get, the more you think you're right. Now, eventually, you're going to come around and go, oh, you know what, they weren't so stupid after all. I'm talking about mom and dad, okay? But sometimes, you know, we get to be teenagers we kind of think we're God. We know it all. Okay, watch this. In Luke 2, 51 and 52, Jesus is 12 years old. Good age. He went down with them. Talking about Mary and Joseph. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And guess what? He was God. He didn't think he was God. He was. But guess what? He was submissive to his mom, and to his dad. How about that? He goes on and says this, um, And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. When we are obedient, when we serve the Lord Christ, okay, and we obey his word, we grow in favor with God and with men. So it really makes sense. So, so what's our three words? Students, what's your three words? One's grace. One's grace. Extend your parents some grace. They're going to mess up. They're going to make some bad decisions. They're going to make some bad calls. They're going to do something that totally doesn't make sense. And the reason that it makes sense is because it doesn't make sense. So give a, be sure and extend to them some grace. Just like God did to you. Secondly, gratitude. Be thankful. Be thankful for what your parents do for you. You probably got up this morning and ate your parents' food. You had a house to sleep in last night with electricity because they paid the electric bill. You're wearing clothes that most likely they probably bought. So be sure and say, thank you, mom and dad. Let them know that you appreciate the sacrifice that they have made. And probably in desperation for a G word, because I've got grace and gratitude, I came up with gratuity. Gratuity. Let me define gratuity for you. Something given voluntarily and beyond obligation. Just sometimes reach out to your mom and dad beyond what is expected and let them know you love them. And in spite of the weak... You know, did you know what I do? Rarely do I withhold a tip from a waitress or a waiter, a server. Won't know why? They're trying to make a living. If they get the order wrong... I don't not give them a tip. In fact, rarely do I reduce it. I try to give 20%, whoever it is. You know why? I extend grace. I extend gratitude for the service they provided, even when it's not perfect. And so kids try to do the same thing. Now, technically, we're out of time, but it's only 1125, so let me go a little bit further here, okay, because I want to get to the dads. And really, I would love to extend this. Really, the context is dads. I can't change that, but I hope we'll extend it to parents, uh, if, you're, if you're a single mom or a mom, okay, that you'll be able to apply some of this. But it really fits well because, you know, again, keep in mind, dads, keep in mind, you serve the Lord Christ. We serve the Lord Christ, okay? But dads, here's what Paul says. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, so how do we provoke our children? Well, Well, let me say this first. You know, in Psalm 127, 3 through 5, it says children are a gift from the Lord. Okay? They are a reward from Him. So understand that God has blessed you with these children. They're not an inconvenience. They're not a pain. They are a gift from the Lord. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. You represent God for them. You represent God to them. My three words here, and I'm cutting this short because of time, um, the three words I wrote down for the dads on your sermon sheet are unconditional, unchanging, and unrelenting. And those are three great words that describe God, that describe God in our relationship with him. Um, about 34 years ago, uh, Judy gave something to me. And I know you can't see it. I understand that. But it's a picture. Um, she had a lady named Carolyn Cofield uh, do a watercolor. And this is mostly faded here. But it's a picture of Judy standing here. Uh, Jennifer's about 14 months old. And Rebecca would be about three years old, somewhere in there, a little short of three years old. And she wrote this, came up with this, and had it painted. It says, A special man, my father is he, for he represents the Heavenly Father to me. A special man, my father is he, for he represents the Heavenly Father to me. Uh, What I'm trying to say is, guys... What a wonderful high calling you have. You get to represent God to your family, to your wife, and to your children. So try to develop a relationship where they are not provoked to anger. All right? Try to develop a relationship where not provoked to anger. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, real quick. I'm going to give you five things. You can't write these down. If you write me, I'll give them to you. There's a ministry called Family Life, and as God would do it, you know, Friday, this came in my email. And I said, oh, my goodness, it's perfect um, for what we need to hear on Sunday morning. So, guys, they have a top five list of ways we can provoke our children to anger. These are things you do not want to do, okay? I'll read them to you quickly. Number one is this. Shows, show a dictatorial style of relating to his children. Oversizing authority without underlining relationship of love, affection, and fun times. So an overemphasis, a dictator style, overemphasis of authority rather than love. Number two, exhibits a critical spirit, consistently tearing down his children with the tone of his voice and the words of his mouth. Consistently tearing down your children with... And your wife, by tone and by words. Um, passive and neglects the children outright. Just simply is not home. Simply not home for the kids. Um, fails to provide clear expectations about boundaries, limits, and rules. We never explain what we expect. And when they cross over that line that we never explained, we come down on them like a hammer. It will provoke them to anger. And the last one is this. Fails to develop a relationship with each of his children, either rejecting or withdrawing from the relationship. Refuses to build a relationship with his children. Each one individual because every child is different. Those are things as dads and moms we need to avoid. So here we are. We have this, this choice. What kind of family do we want to have? I know in, in Judy's class they watched an incredible they started watching an incredible sermon video and starting a new series um, on the family and he kind of brings out you know Joshua 24 where he says, "As for me and my house, and Joshua says, "We will serve the Lord." So we're at this paradox if I did a halfway good job about explain, explaining and defining the highly functional family, what a wife should do, what a husband should do, what the kids should do. And what the dads or the parents should do. We're at this pivotal point now. We've got to ask ourselves this question. As for me and my house, I'm going to... And what are we going to do? Are we going to do it our way? Are we going to you know, lay this book aside and say, no, my way's better than God's way? Or are we going to choose to trust the Word of God, which is reliable, and by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, have that highly functional family? Where the wife understands her role, the husband understands his role, the children understand their role, the parents understand their role. And it all comes together and meshes together. And it's highly effective. I'd like to, again, we'll have our decision time here, and we'll have no more supper today, but we'll have a regular decision time. I'd like to invite you to spend some time. Love it when you sing, but maybe we'll do some praying today. Maybe we'll come to the altar and say, okay, God, I just need to talk to you about this because I'm not done well. And by the way, if you've heard my story enough, there are many things in my life that I wish I'd done better as a parent. You know, hindsight's twenty-twenty. 20, 20. Um, But anyway, anyway, so maybe today we could say, okay, God, I don't understand my role exactly as a husband or a wife or a child or as a parent, but I'm going to read your word, I'm going to trust your word uh, by the Holy Spirit and be try to be that man, that woman, that child that you've called me to be. defining the highly functional family. Let's pray together. Well, God, I sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this today. And uh, this is one of those times, God, I know this is so countercultural to what our society believes. But, God, so is a lot of you. And that's okay. And that's real okay. So we want to ask, Father, today, one, if there's someone here who has never trusted Christ as Savior, that today might be that day. As Brother Brent stands front to receive them, I pray today might be that day. And then, Father, um, the rest of us who know you, as we... Struggle sometimes as we thrive sometimes to be this highly functional family that you want desire for us, Father. I pray for every wife, Lord, that she would fulfill her role; every husband that he would fulfill his role; that every student and child would fulfill her role. And oh, fathers, parents, as parents, we will fulfill the role that you place with us. Understanding, knowing that children are a gift from the Lord, so have your way this time. In Jesus, I pray in your precious name.